Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Alexis the midwife. And I'm Becky the doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. We are delighted that we have a fantastic partnership this season with Sophie Le Giraffe, especially because this year is Sophie's 60th birthday. And we have some exciting things lined up in Sophie's honour across this season, including a special birthday celebration episode. If you want to see the full range of Sophie Le Giraffe products, head over to sophielegiraffe.co.uk So pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Mother Box. Today we're so excited to welcome somebody we have admired over the Instagram squares for years and whose wise words we often turn to for calm, the awesome Dr Emma Svanberg. Emma is a mother, therapist, author, speaker and Instagram champion reminder that we don't have to do it all that we are allowed to take a break and that we do need our village. And for that, we love her dearly. Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. (laughs) Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to speak to you both. Thank you for coming. It's absolutely brilliant to have you, Emma. Now, Becky and I met you a few years ago when you were on a panel. I don't know if you remember this. Yes, You were on a panel for Mum's The Word (laughs) and you were talking about birth trauma you were talking about making birth better you were talking about so many things huge things like identity changes for new mothers I could we could see the audience hanging on to every word you're saying and I'm not just saying this Becky and I turned to each other afterwards and we were like that that was so interesting we learned so much from that and we've been in the world of working with people who are pregnant who are birthing who are postnatal between us for sort of 30 years between us yeah we were proper girl crushing in the crowd we were loving it absolutely we were just like you were just speaking eloquently and it was so interesting how did you turn your profession in sort of towards and where did the interest come from to start talking about the importance of making birth better and what birth trauma is and understanding that and then reaching out and getting support afterwards. Where did this come from? Um, I don't quite know what to say after that. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Emma. Um, I, I, 
you've made me speechless <laughs> which as you both know is quite rare um so my interest in birth trauma well, do you know what I think that it's it, it very much ties in birth trauma for me is not just about the clinical mm. work it's also about the activism because I think that as you both know mm. so much of birth trauma and when I say birth trauma I'm talking about you know the whole perinatal experience so mm. we can also have trauma around our pregnancy journey our fertility journey our breastfeeding or feeding journeys you know so there's lots of kind of different elements birth trauma can encompass so many different things we at make birth better we're actually talking about whether we should refer to it as perinatal trauma that that would probably be Mm. a bit more accurate I don't think you can do that work without questioning the systems that create birth trauma because Mm. it is such a systemic problem and there are people who come out of birth experience that have been objectively very difficult you know so I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. maybe physical injury injury to the baby where we all you know there's a there's a kind of recognition that we will be affected by those experiences but for the majority of people that I work with and have spoken to through Make Birth Better actually the trauma is more around interpersonal factors so how they felt that they were treated during their perinatal experience so we know how vulnerable people are during Mm. pregnancy and after birth and it can often just take one person being really insensitive or Mm. just being really busy you know that's that's also the reality you know kind of in NHS services at the moment midwives are often looking after four or five people at the same time so how that can Mm. feel for somebody if they're feeling vulnerable leaving people feeling a bit abandoned or isolated in a time where they need you know kind of the most amount of support that they can possibly get I think you know so my interest came I think from seeing it as something that was not really being spoken about at that time yeah. um, and then you know that kind of went hand in hand with a wish to change that for people because so much of birth trauma feels preventable and mm. I still remember the first client that I worked with where I realized oh this is this is a thing you know this is a this is trauma that we're talking about here and I remember it's not something that we were taught about in training at all we just don't talk about birth at all so you know even wow we talk about it in well at that time you know so I qualified in 2009 so it's quite a while ago Mm. now and in that time you know the nice guidelines only changed to recognize birth trauma in 2014 so hopefully that has changed a bit and you know we sometimes get invited to come and talk to universities now so there is a shift you know it is something that is being spoken about more frequently but at that time which was probably around 2007 I remember speaking to this woman and thinking she's describing symptoms of PTSD around birth Mm. and this Mm -hmm. was not something that I'd really come across before and the Birth Trauma Association was relatively new then but I I remember finding their website and just having one of those light bulb moments like oh god Mm. I didn't realize that you could have PTSD about birth because of course like everybody else my narrative about birth was this is the best day of your life it's going to be a beautiful experience you're going to be so grateful at the end of it because you've got your baby in your arms and if it's difficult it's okay because you'll forget about it because that's just what happens Mm. to everybody that was very much the narrative I was brought up with that was very much the narrative Mm. I felt was around 
so that's a very long answer to your question but I think it was no, just really that real good. you know light bulb moment of wow this yeah. is a thing that I never knew about and then I spent quite a lot of time just trying to find what little research there was around at that time and then where where kind of the activism came in I guess was um still realizing so it was 2018 I think I'd done this Instagram post around the difference between PTSD and postnatal depression and yeah it just seemed to resonate with a lot of people so I was you know kind of just returning to work after my second child at that point and um started then thinking about collecting stories so that was kind of where the first make birth better campaign really grew out of you know the mm-hmm. sort of hearing it was sort of 70 plus stories from people who'd had difficult birth experiences yeah. and then you also wrote a book I did also write a book yeah, yeah. <laughs> birth trauma matters yes I did yeah, yeah. which is yeah. amazing so you brought together that experience and those narratives that you were hearing and your obviously your professional background and created a book that shares a lot of information and validates how people are feeling and perhaps gives them more knowledge as to why that might have happened in the first place and what they can do about it. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I think for a lot of people, it is just the validation that is the most important step and mm. being allowed to have the space to talk about what's happened to them and not have that minimized in any way Mm. and certainly have the sense that that matters that it's not just about the baby that their experience really matters and it is I mean I think about it as this is our entry into parenthood and if we are entering parenthood feeling broken then it's Mm -hmm. so much harder than if we're entering Mm. parenthood feeling empowered and positive and well supported Definitely. And what we know is that if we are feeling traumatized and then we're silenced by the phrase, but you've got your baby and you go, oh, yeah. And you push that trauma down. And Emma and I have spoken about this before. What I see in clinic is it coming out physically in in the body. I see people with hypertonic muscles who cannot release, who their bodies are on complete hypervigilance. And we sometimes see the body stuck in a very postnatal state, mm-hmm. eight months, nine months, 10 months down the line, because there's unresolved trauma from birth. And it doesn't even, you know, often it isn't a difficult birth or a difficult pregnancy, but it's how they felt and a simple, which makes it a difficult subject, but as simple as somebody saying something quite offhand to them at a time when they're so acutely uh sort of overstimulated that has stuck with them for years you know so it's it's a lot of unpicking isn't it and um, we're getting there the narrative is changing but I think we've anyone who works in birth has to do a lot of work I think and unpicking the way we work with women yes and I think the more that you think about it the more that you see how systems are set up not always in a very you know kind of person focused way so with the family at the center and I think some trusts are brilliant at doing that and Mm. really centering the family and how we're going to support this new family whereas others are you know still hold on to quite a kind of doctor knows best attitude and that can Mm. be so difficult for people who have you know grown up feeling a sense of agency and control over their own bodies and then all of a sudden this can often be the first experience that we have where somebody Mm. says well actually maybe you don't know what's best for you and your baby because I think that I know what's best and here is this timeline that you have to adhere to and if you don't 
then it's your fault. I think that's a story that I hear quite mm. a lot. Um, and, you know, we've talked about that before, haven't we, Becky, that that yeah. sense of what is held in the body. And for a lot yeah. of people, you know, their birth experience can be one of many other traumatic experiences mm. that they are holding in their body. And the more that we talk about it, the mm. more that I think we can prevent those birth experiences from being difficult. Because if we're aware oh, you know, that thing that happened to me when I was 15 that I didn't think was that significant, but Mm. actually has made me feel a little bit jumpy about somebody else touching my body. You know, maybe that is Mm. something that I need to think about. Maybe that's something that I need to talk about with regards to my birth planning. You know, Mm. are there things that I need in order to feel safe? So physically and psychologically safe. What is it that I need in order to feel that way? And so often, particularly for women having been socialized into being good girls and being compliant it can be such a change to imagine that you could be assertive and advocate for your own needs and Mm. you know we often are in systems that really encourage us not to advocate and to be compliant and that can be really tricky for a lot of people Mm. particularly if they don't have partners or doulas or you know people who are there to to be able to advocate for them at a time when they might be feeling particularly vulnerable. When Alexis and I did our um our birth trauma course one of the things that we came away was that you know actually asking people how you feel because there's that thing isn't there sometimes when you have a really quick and easy fast birth people go oh you're so lucky but actually that that person's left quite traumatized because it's quite fast and however your birth is whatever it is what we realize is lots of women don't reach out because they don't think it's traumatic enough Mm -hmm. and that's something you know however however it played out if you aren't feeling okay afterwards it's always a good idea to reach out and that there is no bar of how traumatic it has been for you to access help I think it's really important that women know that that they can reach out whatever yeah I think one of the key researchers on birth trauma is Cheryl Beck and she talks about birth trauma as being in the eye of the beholder it is a subjective experience it's not up to anyone else to define how traumatic or difficult your experience was I remember Mark Harris, um, the male midwife, who I'm sure you know about Emma, but he um, he spoke to us on that that day, and and he was saying, you know, I've been in midwifery for so many years now, and I don't know why, but it felt like a bit of an aha moment, to be honest with you, when he said, picture you're working with um, a woman, she's having her baby, and two women have what looks like exactly the same birth do you remember Becky Mm. they're both in the water they both birth in the water it looks fairly straightforward on paper and they get out and one woman says to you that was the most empowering day of my life and the other woman says to you I'm absolutely in shock that was beyond awful and suddenly you find yourself questioning but this is how it looked from my perspective and of course, it's not about you at all. Mm. That is their truth. They're telling you how it felt for them. And then it's about supporting them to get, you know, what they need, the debrief, the conversations. And like you say, just validating and, and being like, talk to me. How did it feel for you? And what's been going on? Yeah. And it doesn't matter how it looked. It's really got nothing to do with it. It's how it felt for them. It's what we bring, right? We don't come to yeah. birth. Uh, in as you know pure beings we're bringing up the whole of our experience up to that point mm. and 
our patterns of relating to people and the way that we feel about our body and the way that we feel about our sense of control, our sense of agency. Mm. You know, these are all things that we bring into our birth experience and they're not things that we're encouraged to talk about. You know, our kind of antenatal journey is often a very pragmatic, practical experience rather than wow you're growing a new life how does that feel and what does that raise Mm. for you and you know all of the things that we bring about the birth stories that we've heard before our experience of being in you know healthcare setting it's it's complex and we just don't really allow for the complexity of it nearly enough I completely agree and I remember working with a woman who said to me afterwards she found being in the hospital very traumatic she'd chosen to be there that she knew she had an option to be at a home birth but it was a first baby she'd waded up and she had decided to be there but it wasn't until afterwards that we realized that the hospital took her back to a place where her mum was having chemotherapy for breast cancer Mm. in her teenage years and just the corridors in the hospital and the smell of it made her want to pass out so that is completely another layer outside of what's happening here and now with the pregnancy and with the birth itself but that's we don't know that so her body comes into an anxious state that's what she's bringing into her birth experience yeah 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 and then of course in our culture postnatally a lot of your support completely falls away and Alexis and I have been lucky enough to work abroad where women are scooped up by their villages and supported and and I remember sort of coming back here and having my daughter and being like what like they're like (laughs) okay bye then and you're like what do you mean what do you mean by then where's my where's my massage and my special soup to cleanse my blood and kind of you know (laughs) and you realize that you know there's not much support which is why we loved your campaign I'm in your village which you did on uh, social media and you have a Facebook group as well don't you set up is that called that's called it's called the village the village village parenting community over the pandemic it's been much busier than it was before so it was set up explicitly to be a place where parents can feel supported so I think I I have noticed you know but both personally and professionally that lots of parenting groups are about advice you know so Mm. you can come to this group you can ask you know what are you feeding your child for weaning you know what's your thoughts on the difference between baby-led weaning and more traditional weaning methods but there seem to be very few places where people could just go and talk about their experience of being a parent and kind of what they're bringing to their own parenting experience so it's very explicitly a group where we don't give advice so that's something that we talk about very very specifically and we're there to offer support and maybe talk about how we have experienced those things so I ran it on my own up until the pandemic and then a group of, we now run it as a group of other psychologists so in the first lockdown we were trying to do sort of daily videos uh, to offer support for people through that transition and then now we kind of have you know so we'll do a discussion thread once a week we do a kind of check-in once a week and we also recently have had a focus on thinking about kind of hopes for the future because particularly over this lockdown in January when people were feeling very heavy it was a really you know kind of great way of just offering a bit of because gratitude practice is something that is Mm. you know time and time again kind of shown in the evidence base as being something that can really lift our mood so we did it started Mm. doing a weekly sort of gratitude practice and looking towards the future as well Uh, you know when everyone was feeling a bit stuck at home 
but it's such a lovely group and I get such a lot from running it too I mean the people there are just phenomenal so supportive and so warm and it is it has become a place where I think people know that they won't be judged and there's so much judgment in parenting so it does feel like a genuinely safe place it's a it's a great little corner of the internet amazing I saw an amazing meme the other day actually common wild I think it was we love her work don't we yeah and I think the first picture is a woman and she's like looking and she says stop judging me and then the second picture she's looking in the mirror and it hit hard because I thought I am like that to myself I'm just awful sometimes and and yes we have the judgment of others as well and we judge as well like it this it all comes into it and it's about working out that ego and what's going on there and those conversations because oftentimes I find that if I have a thought like that it's often an insecurity I have about myself Mm. and my own parenting that's the that's the truth and it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes but it does seem to be the way it is just moving on slightly Emma one thing you probably put this content out and you don't always realize how much it touches people one of the things that I kept seeing on your Instagram account last year whilst restrictions started becoming lifted and were changed was you kept going on and saying we are still in a pandemic right (laughs) you remember going on time and time again and saying this even when I was allowed to take the kids to the Isle of Wight for a week you were still saying it even when the kids were going back to school in September after what just seemed like a mind-blowing six months you were still saying it and in some weird way then when we went back into lockdown in January your words just sung true for me and I was like but Emma kept saying this never ended this was still going so this in in a way shouldn't be a shock although it did feel like a bit Mm. of a shock on on January the (laughs) 1st still but your sort of support and communication throughout the time of the pandemic has been priceless and once again talking to your audience and saying this is lockdown. This is what it really looks like. I know that right now you're probably seeing lots of pictures on Instagram of people, you know, baking biscuits with their kids. I put my hand up. I was guilty of putting one of those pictures up (laughs) when actually I was frankly falling apart at the seams, (laughs) trying to shoehorn my work in at 5.36 a.m. in the morning and then in the evening after my husband finished work. And there I am on Instagram going, but look at these cookies we made this morning. <laughs> and then Emma, you put a poster. I think I remind me what the hashtag was. It was like something like "This is lockdown," this and it is was lockdown. Yeah, people it went sharing crazy, their real didn't it? pictures. Yeah, this is what my kitchen looks like at the moment. This is the laundry that we're not getting through. This is us trying to navigate both of us in our partnership working and homeschool three children. What was the response you were getting to that at the time? It must have been huge, surely. It was wonderful. I mean, it just completely took off, didn't it? It was great. Yeah, and it yeah. was it was literally just came out of me stepping into my kitchen and thinking, <laughs> my kitchen does not look like the kitchens that I've just spent five <laughs> minutes scrolling through on Instagram. And yeah. if that's the case for me, then I know that it's the case for everybody else as well. You know, that... Mm-hmm. Because I am just, you know, we are all just ordinary people kind of trying to muddle through as best we can, right? So I think part Mm. of what I find really beneficial about Instagram is the way that you can just go, hang on a minute, there's so many millions of people on here. We do have shared experiences. Let's talk about them and normalise what it is that we're actually going through together. 
Mm. I think that there's obviously a place for the kind of fantasy that Instagram provides, you know, the fantasy of, well, actually, I feel like I'm falling apart at the seams, but here's my lovely picture of me baking with my children because it allows (laughs) us to to enter into that fantasy for a moment and go, well, everything's Mm. fine. I'm still baking. You know, this picture looks really nice. I can still feel like something is okay and I've got, you know, I'm in control of something in my life. So it just, it provides us with that opportunity to enter into the fantasy, right? There's there's an importance in that too. That's why we also say to people, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Because if we start to really look at what we're feeling, then what will happen? And I think that's often a fear for people, Mm. particularly, I think, in this lockdown where, you know, the emotions were just so complex, I think, in January for people. But it was much easier to just push that away, just buckle down, get on with it, think about feelings later. But it does pop out, right? This is the thing, is that it does pop out at us in other ways when we're not acknowledging how we're actually feeling. So I think there was some denial going on around that. You know, let's just pretend everything's okay. We're still coping. Everything's fine because if I look at how I'm actually feeling, then I don't quite know how I'm going to get through today. So we're just going to kind of keep this going. But I think, you know, the reason that I've kept saying throughout this whole period, and it's as much for me as it is for everybody Mm. else, you know, it's that if we can't forget what we're going through, because as soon as we forget it, we lose the ability to process those feelings that we have been shutting away for such a long time. You know, Mm. I think it's important that we keep really present in the forefront of our minds. Mm. This is not what we expected from our lives. This is the opposite of a normal experience. This is a mind-blowingly difficult and challenging experience. And even now when things are lifting a little bit, we're starting to think about the future. We're feeling a bit more hopeful, thinking about what summer's going to be like. We're still carrying so much anxiety from the year that we've just had. And I think it's actually... Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say it as frankly as this. I think it's really dangerous to then Mm. just go, okay, it's fine. Let's just look to the future. Let's think about picnics on the beach. Because if we ignore the stress Mm. that we've just held on to for a whole year, we're much Mm. more likely to have a mental health repercussion later on down the line. If we can pause now and be able to think to ourselves with help if need be, wow what was that that just happened to me how do I feel about that what am I carrying in my body you know what where's the guilt for me of the things that didn't go the way that I wanted them to go how am I going to let go of that how what are the conversations that I need to have with my children with my partner with my family with my friends about you know Mm. how that actually felt because all of the the stories in the press particularly at the moment Mm. it's all about how either it's kind of these really catastrophic uh, stories which are really mm. anxiety promote and we have got so used to just bearing with that anxiety right you know here's another headline yeah. that you might notice if you tune into your body you know I've just opened my news app and whoosh I've just been flooded with anxiety but I'm so used to going through that process mm. now that I'm not even noticing it anymore but we're still holding that yeah yeah uh, or we get these really hopeful sunny stories of it's all going to be fine and let's just forget about that you know this thing just happened to us so being able to hold that middle ground and go okay well I do maybe I do have some hope and I am holding on to hope but I'm also Mm. going to acknowledge actually the level of anxiety that I've been feeling so that I don't carry it forward into the life that is coming around the corner you know I need to stop here and process so that I can actually really enjoy that next phase and I'm not snapping and getting irritable with my partner and I don't really know what that's about 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We hope you're enjoying our chat with Emma so far, but now for a little ad break because Lex and I want to tell you some more about the fabulous Sophie Le Giraffe and why she's so popular with babies all around the world. This year, Sophie has teamed up with the Giraffe Conservation Foundation to produce a fantastic gift set comprising of a Sophie Le Giraffe teether and keyring. The GCF is very close to Sophie's heart and works tirelessly to prevent the growing risk of extinction of these fabulous animals. Head over to sophielegiraffe.co.uk to learn more and for every gift set purchased, one euro is donated to help finance the translocation programme led by the foundation. Now back to our chat with Emma. I'm actually seeing people in clinic at the moment who are in a much higher anxious state than they have been in the pa- like the, the eye of the pandemic, as it, as it were, although we pretty much are still. But um, because there's this roadmap and there's this kind of date that it's supposedly all going to end or, you know, we're, we're entering to that. And it's almost like they're only now just processing what's what's been happening because we have that thing in our culture don't we this real sort of stoic showing up get on with it you know we're very good at just normalizing a, a very difficult situation so they're only now processing what's happened but also now faced with the prospect that then we're supposed to all be going out and pretending like we're all back to normal mm. and it's made them go into this complete state of utter panic and they're like I don't know why I'm feeling this way and I'm like uh it's a lot it's, <laughs> it's a lot of, you know it's a lot and actually yeah. I think sometimes we don't start processing do we until we can see the light at the end because then we can finally think okay I can start letting go a little bit now yes well if you think about it from a sort of brain perspective you know we've been in fight or flight for all of this time and particularly over winter I think we were you know we talk about fight flight or freeze and I think for a lot of people actually Mm. January was freeze it was just survival (laughs) mode I just wanted to lie on the floor and just just collapse (laughs) yes I can't do this anymore this is now you know and in winter it was so much harder wasn't it so there I think for a lot of people it was not even fight or flight it was just total freeze and and what happens to us when we do that is that we dissociate so Mm. in order to be able to get through our day without really thinking about how hard this is feeling there's a part of our brain that literally just kind of switches off right so we just float away somewhere and people were using lots and lots of coping strategies to help them do that so we know that alcohol use increased we know that people are using their phones so much more and scrolling in that kind of slightly mindless way and that was in Mm. order to help us keep our emotions numb so once we come out of freeze which we are able to do a little bit more now not for everyone so for people who have little kids who are still at home they're kind of still in the place Mm. that they were in January a lot of people but once we started to see the kind of light at the end of the tunnel as you say we can start to relax and we Mm. stop dissociating as much and then we can feel the full force of the emotions that we've been pushing away for all Mm. of that time and it is a lot as you said it's a lot and it it, for a lot of people there was a lot of really complex stuff that they had to deal with thinking about partnerships thinking about work thinking about children Mm. 
even just managing our children's emotions, mm. right? Like that in itself has been huge for people. But that was yeah. just the extra, you know, because like we talked about before, you know, some people lost jobs. There were other things that were more yeah. um, significantly stressful. So just the layers of stress that people have been through, that will take a long time for people to work through. And I don't want to sound bleak about it because we can do that. You know, we as human beings are incredibly adaptable. We're incredibly resilient, but it does take some unpacking to think about all of these different things and how they've affected us. I can't imagine there's one human being that's been through this that wouldn't benefit from somebody sitting them down and saying, how do you feel? Mm. How, How are you feeling at the moment? How's this this last year been for you I honestly think if somebody was just to knock on my door right now and say you can have 10 weeks worth of you know psychotherapy I'd be like yes please I want to just talk about this stuff one of my friends put a picture up the other day on Instagram I can't believe this is a year ago and it was our first Mm. zoom pub quiz or whatever you know everyone was doing that Mm. back in March and April last year and I sent her a message back and I realized seeing that picture didn't make me feel happy isn't that awful but it just didn't and I just and I messed her back and said I can't even process this yet and I can't I can't believe that was a year ago and I don't know I just feel like there's so much to be discussed going forward I feel like I have definitely packed the feelings of the last year away to a point where I feel like I can open it up again and try and understand and and find ways of unpicking how it felt and I can't even articulate it and I'm usually a fairly articulate person (laughs) I feel really still very confused about the whole thing Mm. and it still feels very out of control in my own mind yeah and I think it's like that for most people and the reason Mm. that it's hard to articulate is because when we're really stressed we lose our frontal lobes right so the parts of our brain that are responsible for bringing together that kind of complex thinking at your most stressful periods Mm. will have gone and it means that we remember those experiences quite differently they can feel quite Mm. fragmented so Mm, I you know you might look back over the past year and just think wow there's a blank there's a whole blank I don't remember what we did Mm. in August for example because actually Mm. at the time you might have been dealing with a much higher level of stress than you realized and that means that you were processing things differently to the way that you normally would so the way that it enters into our memory is different we remember it differently and it can feel very patchy and that in itself can be quite unsettling right because it's then hard to create a narrative about what we've been through but that's why talking about it is so important because it's through the talking about Mm. it that you can put the narrative together and be able to create a story of this is what happened this is what happened to me Mm. this is what happened to us and even now for people listening you know you might be noticing as you're listening to this that feelings are starting to rise up because Mm. us talking about this just allows that permission to start thinking about Mm. how am I feeling Mm. what am I feeling in my body and people can often be very surprised once they start to tune in just how much wells up you know it's that oh okay it's almost feels like the floodgates can open and what we've been doing as part of the village is that we're doing a project at the moment which people might want to join in with where we're talking about first of all thinking about kind of the, the more difficult experiences the things that we found difficult from the last year but also the things that we want to take forward from that experience mm. so things about yeah. our strength and the resilience that we've shown and we've invited people to write a letter to themselves from a year ago to think about 
what is it that I've been through? What are the things that mm. I never thought that I could do that I've done? Because we've really, I mean, it's been amazing, right? The strength that mm. people have shown, the things that people, yeah. in March, I remember everyone saying last year, okay, well, you know, we're going to be off for two weeks. There's no way I can yeah. have the kids at yes. home for two weeks <laughs> out in oh, term time. Word. And yep. you think back to what we've done mm-hmm. and my God, we yeah. are amazing. What have we done? It's incredible. Yeah. So being able to write a letter back to ourselves and go, look what you did. Look how yeah. brilliant you are. Look what you've got through. And yeah. let's also reflect on how that's felt for you and, and what you've actually been through. And it's just a way to start processing, you know, those kind of emotions that we've been holding on to. And people have generally found it quite a moving experience so far. And we're hoping to sort of put them all into a book so that we've got a, you know, kind of memento from this time. And I think those are the things that can be really helpful, you know, marking it in some way, not just barreling forward and going on with life as normal but you know there might come a point where you think and maybe it'll be June the 21st if the if the roadmap kind of continues as as hoped for but there might be a point where you think okay for me myself or maybe with my family I want to do something to mark this occasion Mm. so some people did Mm. it on the anniversary of the first lockdown you know just took time to reflect on what it had meant to them but you might want to choose another time where you think I want to mark this in some way I want for us as a family to create a ritual so that we know that we have kind of drawn a line on that point of our Mm. lives and now we are looking forward to what is coming next I think that's been a really unusual thing about lockdown and the pandemic as well is that say for example when I went through the grief of losing my dad very suddenly when he died 10 years ago I had friends of mine who weren't in bereavement and they weren't in grief and they could support me and they could be someone outside of that who could scoop me up but I feel like during the pandemic there wasn't the other who wasn't going through it it was like Mm -hmm. everybody and I know at times this is like there was this you know idea that we were in it together which we then broke down and we're not in this together in a way because we're all having such different massively different experiences and and so there was like this this there was a divide but then there was also a unity and it just didn't feel like you could put extra layers onto your friends and your family who also were going through their own experiences like for example my mum was going through the pandemic as a widow in her house up in the Midlands, Mm. completely on her own for three months, seeing absolutely nobody. So she was experiencing extreme isolation. Mm. Whereas I'm thinking, but I've got three children. I'd love a day all on my own in the middle of nowhere, watching TV and reading books. And so there almost was that. And then sort of, then you think about it and you're like, no, we've we've all got our own challenges and it's Mm. all been so different for all of us and hard in different ways. Mm. And I think that's, for me, that was a, I suppose, a tricky part of it because I didn't want to put anything extra onto somebody else because it really was a sort of survival mode period at, at the very least for the first half of of last year and then there were little restrictions lifted and it felt like I definitely wasn't processing it at that point but I felt like I could see people and and things felt a bit more manageable Um, and again we're all different I'm quite an extrovert character so being able to see friends again albeit in a in a safe and distance way definitely helped me a bit and then going back into a lockdown again I just I don't know. I felt like I had nothing more to give. I didn't know mm. how, how can I get through this when I feel like, and again, I take it back to, and I spoke to my sister and my mum about this. It felt a bit like there were moments of the lockdown 
there felt like there've been moments of of the pandemic so far that has reminded me of bereavement mm. because I remember distinctly this feeling when I lost my dad thinking right I can't cope with this anymore I'm done with this he needs to come back now because I can't I physically can't sit with this mm. anymore I can't do it I remember that and then like Emma exactly as you were saying then like checking out of that and going somewhere nice and airy fairy in my mind because I was like I can't do this anymore and I feel like there were moments like that during the pandemic when I was like I can't do another week of homeschooling three children and running a job and trying to be all things for all people I can't do it so I'm going to check out and we're just going to bake cookies this morning and I'm going to post it on Instagram. <laughs> but do you know, but that's a really adaptive, these are our adaptive coping strategies. I mean, yeah. sort of dissociating in that way, it's it's not a bad thing. These are evolutionary principles that our kind of, our bodies have learned so that we mm. can cope. You know, this is a really yeah. adaptive way of getting through what has been a tremendously challenging situation. But I think that parallel yeah. that you made there, though, Lex, around grief because I think Mm. that there is a lot of grief for that we have to think about from this time and you know we've acknowledged maybe more so bereavement and the absolute tragedy Mm. of the level of bereavement in this country that Mm. has not really probably been acknowledged enough but there's also the grief that we don't really feel that entitled to you know the grief of I didn't get to go on holiday last summer or the grief of I really wanted to have that birthday party or I really missed out on seeing my friends and you know much more major things like for people who've had babies in this time which you know my my heart sort of breaks a bit for people who've had babies over this year and the loss of the maternity leave that they expected and mm. the loss of kind of just being able to introduce that baby to all of their friends and family I mean that's absolutely heartbreaking but mm. we're not really people often don't feel entitled to talk about it because it's not big grief it's little grief and yeah. what I've heard time and time again from people is well I really don't want to complain and I really don't want to moan and I'm just whining and what you were just saying earlier mm. Lex right I didn't want to overburden my friends when they were already suffering with their own burdens but actually that's what does get us through this time is just being Mm. able to say to somebody and I think often because we can think that we need to fix stuff right it becomes harder to think about supporting people because if we come into it with a view but I've got to help them find a solution Mm. then it can feel like a burden Mm. but actually most of the time we just need to be heard and have somebody go yeah I'm having a really hard time too isn't this awful this is so hard how are you dealing with homeschooling well what are you doing about this aspect Mm. of it and just being able to come together in that shared experience but again like you were saying before Becky it's a very cultural thing right we don't talk about these things you know we don't talk about things that are hard and if we talk about them too much then maybe we're going to be burdening people maybe we're going to be complaining but what that means Mm. is you know millions of people sitting at home on their own going "Mm, I'm have to deal with this on my own and I'm Mm. the only one who's feeling this way Mm, yeah, and you'd yeah, sort of you know be forgiven for thinking that was the case because we're not really having these conversations very much yeah and that's why your posts are so great because they give you permission to not be all right you know and sometimes I'll be scrolling mindlessly doing that you know disconnection and I see your lovely ones where you go how are you feeling just take a <laughs> moment and I'm like ah <laughs> it's like and it's like this this permission to stop right and mm, we sometimes need yes. that don't we we need someone to go okay now stop take a breath 
just check in with yourself and I'm like thanks Emma it's kind of a nice moment <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that they helped because we do have this showing up culture we do yeah. have this stepping in showing up get it done don't complain come on and actually it wasn't until last year again I don't know this is probably talk that you've heard throughout the years in your profession but I hadn't ever heard about toxic positivity before uh, that was oh, never yeah. I don't know is that a new term or is that something that has been around for a while because I thought um that there is so much truth in that where something negative or uncomfortable is happening and it's it's easy just to go oh you're doing a really good job come on keep on going you're doing it and it's fantastic mm. and you're like but it doesn't feel good mm. why why do i still feel this way even though i'm being sort of rallied and encouraged to continue and i think again you held space for that other side of the coin which was like just pause for a moment it's hard we're in a pandemic we know this is ongoing still and again gave people the opportunity men women families the chance to kind of say I don't, what, what's the benefit of always having to be positive about things, mm. always trying to look like I'm coping really well, even though it's incredibly challenging? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's not a new term, but I think it's something that probably is becoming a bit more widely talked about because people have that experience of finding it really invalidating. It's it's an invalidation mm, of our yeah. feelings, you know, that... It's quite silencing, isn't it? It kind of shuts yeah. you up because it kind of, you know... And actually, um, moving on to your parenting courses, which we wanted to talk about. So I have... I've always had a bit of a, like, yeah, love-hate relationship with parenting courses because I feel like sometimes you can squash people's intuition because you're trying to teach them how to parent and and it and I find that they can be sometimes a little bit overly positive and it's not necessarily a reflection of how hard it is to parent and I've so I've often kind of poo-pooed them and then I saw your courses and I was like these are speaking to me because it was like why it's okay to fail as a parent or why it's important to fail as a parent and why it's okay to be hated and I was like there you go. Like that's really important stuff to learn because it's not something that we're used to, is it, as people? We're used to being liked and we're used to kind of never failing and being like trying to be perfect, but you can't as parents. So how are the courses going? Are they quite popular? Yeah, so I do. It's a sort of monthly workshop that I started doing uh, okay. in December. So I, I did one which was called the Parent Pause, which was just as we were talking about kind of giving people a chance to process the year and think about what they'd got from the year that they'd just been through. And then it was really well attended and people really liked it and asked me when I was going to do the next one. So I just thought about the sort of topics that seem to come up the most in the sort of questions that I get on social media, but also like the themes that come up a lot in my work individually with people. And a lot of that is around perfectionism and parenting, which mm. I think is really growing. Like I feel like it's always been a problem since I started doing this mm, work, yeah. the, this kind of story that we have about if we are going to be successful as parents, we need to, um, you know, kind of be, yeah, our markers of success for parenting really. And often they can be very prescribed and mm. we can then very easily feel like we're failing. And I think as you were saying, Becky, actually quite a lot of things in parenting really promote that idea that you know, if you're not doing it this certain mm. way, 
then you're failing in some way and it's your personal mm-hmm. failure so it's just really about kind of broadening out the way that we talk about parenting and taking the pressure off again us as individuals to get it right and thinking yeah. much more about actually what does family life really look like for most people and how can we bring some of these sort of general parenting principles or psychological principles mm-hmm. into our daily life so that we can understand what makes us tick a little bit more mm-hmm. and what we're also then bringing to our parenting and how that can affect the way that we respond to things day to day and I, I think that there's probably kind of more of a need for it now as discussions about parenting have really grown on social media mm-hmm. because what I hear from a lot of people is this sense of you know I followed this script that I read from this kind of coaching page and actually it's just made me feel really inadequate because it didn't work so more kind of being able to mm-hmm. think about general principles offers us an opportunity to think about how we can translate that to our mm-hmm. day-to-day life amazing sign me up (laughs) why am i not on this course (laughs) it sounds absolutely amazing (laughs) lex i'm just aware of time do you want to wrap up with the last question yeah i will do okay i will do okay emma can you hear me yes i'm here i'm here can you hear us Emma? we went a bit glitchy there didn't we yeah sorry you've come a bit pixelated yeah I'm just going to ask you the last question, darling. Finally, we always ask our lovely guests the following question, Emma. If you could add a note to pop inside a mother box, heading out to a brand new mum with your best bit of advice on it. And I know that coming from you, it would be quite difficult to find (laughs) a specific thing because you have so many lovely and wonderful (laughs) and important things to say. But what would it say? To take your time take your time that I think we can kind of have this feeling in mothering that we need to know it all right away and I think we can often Mm. talk about our babies as things that we need to crack you know these are our projects that we're going to get right but to take your time to get to know your baby and take your time to get to know you as a mother and what it feels Mm. like to be in this what can be a very strange new world so not to rush to be able to just take it slowly and let that relationship develop in its own time amazing I love thank that. you so much Emma <laughs> absolutely brilliant as always thank you so yeah. much for joining us today thanks for oh coming thank on, you love. so much for having me it's been really lovely talking <laughs> to you both if you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work that we do look out for our books the little book of self-care for new mums and the little book of self-care for mums to be where we will talk further about birth parenthood relationships and much more we've really enjoyed this episode We're sure that you will have your own stories of your bubbers and their love for our partner this season, Sophie Le Giraffe, and we would love for you to share them with us. Send us your photos and your stories to our Instagram at Notes from the Motherbox, and don't forget to tag at Sophie Le Giraffe UK on Facebook and Instagram to share your pics with her too. Join us again next week for more chats with another amazing guest. See you next time on Notes from the Motherbox. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.